If you've ever watched a game where the Indianapolis Colts are playing and the camera goes to the sidelines and there's Coach Tony Dungy and he seems so calm and composed, well, the coach says he hasn't always been like that. He learned some things from his father. My dad was one of the most composed people that I I knew, and he probably had the same personality as me, but when things would happen, he always looked at, well, what can I do to make the situation better? And sometimes with us, if it was chewing us out or getting on us or spanking, if that was going to help make it better, he would do that. But many other times it would be just here, explain the situation, here's how we need to do it better the next time. And I learned from him, but it took me a long time. This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. We'll hear today some of the other ways that the game of football has helped Tony Dungy develop character. Stay with us. Welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us. You know, the last time we had the chance to sit down and talk with our guest today, he was he was just a pro football coach. But just well, yeah. But now, he's Bob, you the, know how to insult our guests. <laughs> now he's the coach of the Super Bowl champion Indianapolis Colts. At least for another couple of weeks, we'll see how you know how yeah, that plays yeah. out this year. That's right. And he's the author of the number one New York Times best-selling book, Quiet Strength. He's kind of come up in the world, don't you think? Yeah. Coach, you, you've added a little bit to your resume since the last time uh, Bob and I talked to you. It's amazing. Uh, now I go through airports, and, and people do. They, they recognize you much more um, because of the Super Bowl and, and I think also because of the book. And uh, it's been amazing to me, but I'm enjoying it. I have to, I have to ask a question here if I can. I, the Kansas City game this past year, you know? You threw the red flag on that touchdown thing. Now, you can't say anything about the refs, can you, without a fine or anything like that? No, you have to be complimentary. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I went back and saw the tape. You went back and saw the tape, right? Yes. We saw the same thing, didn't we? Uh, yeah, I'm confused as to what <laughs> it actually means to catch a ball now. So I have to, okay. have to go back and I just work wanted on to that. make sure I was thinking just Coach, along this. <laughs> I tried to keep Bob from doing that. I said he's going to get fined. Yeah. It's not going to be pleasant. No, I always just say I'm just confused at what it means to catch the ball. I used to think you had to catch it and hold on to it, but yeah. not, not anymore. Something more than that. Isn't you it? know, as, as we watch you though on uh, television on Sunday, uh, walking up and down the sidelines, you just look like this calm tom landry style coach who's just enjoying the afternoon watching his team but in your book quiet strength you mentioned you've got a problem with your temper in fact you said you 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 like to think of it as venting your dad (laughs) used to think of it as what uh really dumb not (laughs) not very smart because you aren't helping the situation and and i learned a lot about that from him my dad was one of the most composed people that I, i knew and he probably had the same personality as me, but when things would happen, he always looked at, well, what can I do to make the situation better? 
And sometimes with us, if it was chewing us out or getting on us or spanking, if that was going to help make it better, he would do that. But many other times it would be just here, explain the situation. Here's how we need to do it better the next time. And I learned from him, but it took me a long time. I'm still maturing, and, and that calm demeanor that you see is not my natural state. <laughs> you actually, uh, I, th- I think, and back to Bob, what Bob tried to trap you into doing here again, <laughs> you actually questioned a referee's call uh, in a press conference one time and got fined 10, 10 grand? In 1999. It was the first year of instant replay. Uh, we lost the game, and they told me afterwards that the replay official was wrong. And, uh, you know, I knew the rules, and I did a little venting there, and uh, it cost, <laughs> didn't help us win the game, didn't change anything. It uh, cost me $10,000, and I actually apologized to the commissioner. I said, you know, I know the rule. I violated that, and uh, I understand the fine. So what do you do when you feel anger today? Well, no, wait. Before you ask that, okay. at that point, you heard your father's voice again, right? <laughs> Very strongly. It said, now, do you feel better? Did it help the situation? Uh, you vented. You got it off your chest. Uh, it didn't help your team win, and you're, you're paying $10,000 to charity. <laughs> <laughs> so when you feel anger today, what do you do with it? I really try to remind myself to think about the next step and what am I going to do uh, to improve the situation. Something has gone wrong, something that I don't like, and how are we going to make it better? And usually, especially uh, I've learned with officials, just yelling at them uh, really doesn't help. A lot of times you know they they may say hey yeah i may have missed that one but if you do it in in the right way i think they're more likely to give you the benefit of the doubt the next time as opposed to just you know you go off on them uh human nature is, tells you that that's not how to how to respond so it's tough <laughs> and what people see in that calm face a lot of times underneath that's not what's really going on <laughs> have you had to coach players on their anger I do. I try to talk to our guys on how to, to really manifest it, how to get it out, how to make it positive, and to take that energy and work on the next play and not think about what just happened, uh, what penalties should have been called, uh, that type of thing. And, um, you know, hopefully they learn from me because I learned from other people, especially my dad. But I think for me, too, it's been, been Christian maturity uh, and, and just growing and praying about it. And I do pray before the games. Let me keep my emotions under control. Let me make good decisions. Let me help my team at all times and not get caught in emotional outbursts. Mm-hmm. One of the verses that you, uh, you quote in your book, Quiet Strength, is Second uh, Corinthians 4. Uh, verse 8 and 9, it says, For we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And Tony, as, as I was reading your book, uh, you not only revealed about your temper, but also about uh, moments that really bring men down and cause them to despair. And I want to take you to a moment when uh, you walked the plank hmm. in uh, Tampa Bay and you were fired. But to do that, I want you to go back and paint the picture of what happened when you took your first NFL coaching assignment uh, with a team that was really a cellar dweller. Yeah, I'd been an assistant coach for 15 years. And uh, during probably the last four or five of those years, my name was being mentioned a lot, but uh, I didn't get any of those jobs. And you start to wonder if you're ever going to get one. But I really believe that 
God's timing and, and his will that there was a place that, that he wanted me to go. Uh, in 1996, the Tampa Bay job opened. Uh, I didn't know anybody in Tampa. Usually to get a head coaching job, you have to have some type of right. entree to the owner or the general manager. I, I knew no one in Tampa didn't feel I would get the job. Uh, Jimmy Johnson and Steve Spurrier were the two hot names at that time. They both turned it down, and uh, I got the job. And I really felt it was really the Lord doing it. So many things went the right way. So you think that, hey, I know this is the Lord's will. That's why we're here. Some great things are going to happen. And we were there six years, and, and some good things did happen, and, and some great um, times with football players. Uh, we started winning there. We never quite got to the Super Bowl, but it was an enjoyable time, some great ministry things, and you just think it's going to go on because that's God's will. And uh, we lost a playoff game to Philadelphia at the end of the 2001 season. And the owners called me in and said uh, they were going to make a change. And they, they didn't think we could get to the Super Bowl as we're currently constructed. And uh, it was very, very painful. It was I, I, I want to stop you there because you write about this in, in your book. And the owners called you over to their house. And you described driving into a driveway that was guarded by these big oak trees. And and you noticed where they were because you said when you backed out you wanted to make sure you didn't hit one of them. <laughs> but but I, I was all set for this dignified, noble meeting of men sitting down with a man and talking with him about terminating him from his employment. But that wasn't what happened. No, it's hard in that situation because it is almost like a divorce. You've been together six years, and you're going in the same direction. You've got the same goals, and then all of a sudden um, the ownership felt like, hey, this isn't the way to go. So it, it's hard. It's painful. They had already made the decision and just basically called me in and said, uh, you know, we're, we're letting you go. And it was a very short, quick, to the point. And at that point, I, I kind of exercised just what we've, we've talked about. Uh, you can get angry, you can get frustrated, or you can say, how do I make the situation better? Where do we go from here? And my immediate thoughts at that point were, God wants me to do something else. Um, he may take me to another city in football, but maybe he's trying to get me to look at something outside of football. He brought me to Tampa for a reason. Maybe there's some ministry things that I would have never looked at. Uh, if I stayed in football. So I went home, talked to my wife and, and said, you know, we just have to figure out where we're supposed to go from here. And for four or five days, I, I wasn't sure. I thought maybe uh, it was doing something outside of football. And then I got a call from Jim Irsay, the owner of the Colts. He left a message on my voicemail and, and said, you know, I think you're the perfect person to coach our team because of the, the, the values you have, the way you coach. That's what I want the Indianapolis Colts to represent. Please call me back. And uh, that was uh, the beginning of coming to the Colts. You described your separation in Tampa almost like a divorce, and the way it happened was almost like getting an email from somebody saying, oh, by the way, the marriage is over. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it was maybe a step up from that. It was a short meeting. 60 seconds. And and not a whole lot of time to process or to uh, to say thanks for the good years or any of that. No, we didn't really talk about that too much. And um, there was you have to understand there was a lot of speculation. I, I was probably the last person to know. Um, we had kind of gone through a, a lot of different what ifs and you know people had been saying in the newspaper if we lost this playoff game to Philadelphia they were going to make a change uh, I'd 
been given the assurance that that wasn't necessarily the case. I kind of went on that basis. And so you're reading this in the next day's paper that they're changing coaches and you still don't think it's necessarily going to happen. Uh, and at that time it was probably best that would just, you know, that's how it was. And it was quick and to the point gave me a chance to, to move on and focus on what I wanted to do. When you lost that game, did, did you feel like, I, I mean, that the whole season's right there. Do you, do you go home that night and you can't sleep and you're replaying the whole game in your mind? No, I, I guess I really didn't. You're always disappointed when you lose in the playoffs because it's the last game of the year. You know you have to start from scratch again the next year. So uh, I can't say, though, it was any more disappointing than uh, any of uh, the other playoff losses we had or that I thought any differently. I was just ready to move on, think about what we had to do to improve. Hmm. As a man, to hold such a public position and to be fired – I mean, firing is not easy for a man at any level, but you were a, a, a hero locally in the Tampa Bay area. You'd taken a team that was a cellar dweller perennially and turned them into a playoff contender. No, the difficult part is that it is so public that people are on the radio saying, is he or isn't he going to be fired? Is he going to be back? What do you think? I don't think he should be back. Uh, yeah, I think they should give him another chance. And, you, you know, you're hearing all this being discussed. Right. Uh, you feel like you got the backing of your employers, but uh, then you don't really know. So uh, that, that was the, the tough part of it. But again, uh, it just goes back to what we've been saying this whole broadcast. If you have your faith in your job, if you have your faith in your employer, if you have your faith in the public perception of you, uh, that can all change. You can always be disappointed. So you have to put your faith in the Lord and understand that he allows a lot of things to happen. Some things are unpleasant, but he still allows them to happen so you'll grow. Do you listen to sports talk radio driving home and read the papers in the morning? And I read the papers. I don't listen to the, <laughs> the talk radio. That, that's a little extreme. But you know what's going on, and, and you hear the – the good things, and you hear people say, oh, they're great, they won the Super Bowl, and this is fantastic, uh, and you hear the, the, the questions, too, and it's all part of it. You had a tough loss this season in one of the most one of the biggest games of the season when you were playing the team that a lot of people expect you may see again before the season is over. Was that a hard loss? It, it was a tough loss. The New England Patriots were rolling. We were both undefeated. It was a big game. We're playing at home. We got a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter. Situations we usually are able to close it out, and, and we didn't. We lost that game, and then everyone is saying, well, you can't beat them again. You, you won't have home field advantage, those kinds of things. So you have to try to block all that out and focus on what you can learn from the game and how you're going to Im improve. And uh, the year before, we had some tough losses coming down the stretch. People wrote us off, and our guys didn't. They, they just continued to work hard, practice hard, and I think that's what we'll do. Hmm. You, um, after, after you were fired, actually led a Bible study in your home that was attended by quite a few people. In fact, so many people, I was told that there wasn't a chair for you to sit on. <laughs> Is that right? Well, what, what I, I did, I just invited our staff over and all the people that work for me and basically read out of, out of Psalms that, hey, there are times when we feel like the Lord has abandoned us. Uh, we, and that's how I felt at the time. I, I thought, God took us to Tampa, he had something great in mind, and now all of a sudden it's not working out. And what, what has happened? But uh, the bottom line was that God is still going to take care of us. He is going to 
put us where he wants us to be. And that's the message that I wanted to get to the staff. And we had so many people over there. Uh, we did run out of chairs, and I just sat on the floor and, and read out of Psalms and just tried to encourage everybody, don't feel bad. This is just a station in life and a place where God's going to test us to see if we're still going to follow him. Uh, I had a, a pastor friend of mine who used to say it's easy to have faith when your refrigerator's full. Uh, that, that you're really not demonstrating any faith to say, yeah, I know the Lord will take care of me when you can open your refrigerator and it's all there. Mm-hmm. But can you open that refrigerator when there's nothing there and say, I still believe the Lord's going to take care of me and feed me today? And that's where we were at that time. And uh, just about everybody on that staff really blossomed. And, and we had some guys who are now head coaches in the NFL off that staff. We had people that are doing great. You, uh, you're a man of the scriptures. And you called upon that knowledge at that moment as well to uh, um, take a page out of Joseph's life about a man who uh, there were those who meant it for evil, but God intended it for mm-hmm. good and shared about that with those as well. I did and, and said that, hey, we only have a snapshot now and we can't see the whole movie. We can't see how God is orchestrating this, but he's going to orchestrate it for good. And I, I know in looking back and people that have commented to me about the book, more people I think have gotten encouragement from the way I maybe handled negative situations than winning the Super Bowl or winning this championship game or whatever. More people I think can relate to the tough times. You know, that's something. Pastor John Piper, I heard him preach a message one time, and it stuck with me. He said, when good things happen and you say praise the Lord, people aren't necessarily impressed by that. But when tragedy happens and people see you with strength in the midst of tragedy, unbelievers scratch their heads and go, where does that come from? That's what I think people who are are not Christians, that's what they want to see. They want to see, okay, when when things – happen that you can't explain when things happen tough uh is this is this real mm-hmm. um it, it's it's very easy for it to be real when everything's going great but um let me let me see what happens kind of what the satan said to the lord about job let me see what happens when it's not so great uh that's when we'll know and i think that's our responsibility to to have the same feeling uh when we're up on the Super Bowl podium mm. that we do mm. when we're fired. In that sense, your Tampa Bay firing may have been a stronger witness to your faith than your Super Bowl victory. I think in a lot of ways, yes, mm. definitely. Um, you know, it's interesting, uh, again, in, in looking at your story, uh, Tony, that it wasn't long after that your father died and uh, your mother had also passed away. And, and here you are, you'd, you'd face these, these setbacks. And um, yet in the midst of that, you were unwavering in calling people to both trust God, what you've just talked about here, and, and also back to their families and making sure they keep their families intact. In fact, it was the losing of your father that really, it seemed like in reading it, uh, your book at least, that really embedded the, the need to protect that, uh, that circle of people that love you the most. I think I did realize that at, at that point. My mom had died just before I got fired in Tampa, the end of the 2001 season. Uh, we came here. We got close to the Super Bowl a couple of times, and uh, my dad died in 2004. And I thought this was the end for me of the training process. Everything hmm. that I'd learned from right. those two people that had gotten me here now was over. I'm, I'm going to have some memories of that, and I'm I'm going to continue to build on that, but they're not going to be able to teach me anything else. 
And now I've got to do the same thing. I've still got some years to teach my kids and to, you know, uplift my wife and to gird my family up and to do the same kind of job that they did so that then their families can benefit the same way. And that, that's when it hit me when my dad died. You, um, you have a talk that you give at training camp. And that August was no different when uh, training camp uh, came together. And I want to read to you what you say at that training camp. You said uh, when talking to the team uh, about what to do with making your family a priority, you said, deal with them, focus on them, and take care of any issues or problems related to them. If I ever learned that there was something with your family that needed to be addressed and you put the team considerations before family without talking with me, there is going to be a problem, a big problem. Wow. That's pretty stout. Well, I I try to say that every year because guys don't always know that you're serious. You know, they, they want to believe that. But every year we'll get a situation, hey, I needed to go home, but I didn't know what you would say and that type of thing. And I always want to let them know it, it always, always, always comes first. If you've got children that have health issues, whatever, if you've got parents, family, that's got to come first. We will adjust. We'll adapt. We'll make it work on this end at work. But don't neglect any situation uh, with your family because of work. That's not the universal coaching ethos around the NFL, is it? It, it probably isn't. Hopefully we're getting to more of that. Um, you, you can get your job done. You can get your work done. And it's just a, a mentality that we've created. And, and I think we as men, more so than anybody, that, that work is important. And it is important, but it, it can't replace the importance of family. You actually have um – uh, uh, a once-a-month meeting by telephone with a number of NFL coaches, uh, five head coaches along with several assistant coaches once a month? We do. It's growing quite a bit. We started out with just some guys that were on the staff together at the Vikings, and then as we kind of left, we wanted to stay in touch with each other, and then they spread it out to different staffs that they were on. So we probably have – I think the last time uh, we called, we had 22 guys on, on the call mm-hmm. And it's uh, 7.30 Eastern in the morning. Uh, Mike Singletary's on at 4.30 in the morning in, in California. Uh, guys are just committed to it, and it, it gives us a chance to stay in touch, to pray for each other. But you also know that uh, you've got 21 other guys that are going through a lot of the same situations you are. You aren't alone, and we're all tied together by the Lord. And and these kind of conversations are the kind of conversations you talk about right here. You really do. What what to do when this situation uh, – we had one uh, with the Minnesota Vikings, a player, Troy Williamson, uh, lost his grandmother and went to the funeral, stayed, had to do some things to tie up loose ends, missed the game. And uh, a couple of the coaches from the Vikings talked about and what what should we do? Here's how we want to handle it. They actually kind of changed their mind of how to handle it uh, and and gave Troy a little more leeway and let him take care of some things uh, because of a conversation that way. So. And that's got to send a message to the fans who are tuning in on Sunday and hearing that this player is not playing. He's not here today. He's back taking care of things with his family. That's that's a loud statement to, to the fans who are watching football. Well, that's what I wish uh, people understood. Uh, we kind of put these guys in a bubble. They play on television. They have a job to perform for 60 minutes uh, every weekend out there, and they should do it you know, with, with no problems. But they're the same 
people that, that everyone else is. And they have the same issues and the same uh, family problems. Uh, Reggie Wayne, one of our receivers, we had a big game against Jacksonville last year. We won it. He's in the locker room celebrating and gets a call that his brother just died in a car accident. And how do you handle that as, as a group, as a team, as a family? And, and you know, we're not immune to that, those things. People sometimes think we are, that, that that should be separate from who you are, but it, but it isn't. It's all part of life. And it's a part of your values. And what you're doing in the NFL is taking the leadership, not merely with a team, but with a group of coaches to um, encourage them in their faith, to make their priorities right and to keep them right, and to give them courage to stand by those convictions Long haul. And I have to ask you this question because you were courageous enough to write about it in your book. There was an advertisement that uh, Terrell Owens, T.O., who now plays for the Cowboys, uh, where he was advertising for a um, uh, Monday Night Football. Yeah, Yeah. And it was an advertisement for Desperate Housewives. And you took a stand, Coach, and stood up on behalf of – the kind of advertisements that young lads like your sons watching on on Monday Night Football, and I just I just wanted to thank you for using the platform. I know that you were misunderstood, but I, I heard you. I knew what you were talking about, and I just want to thank you for doing that because there needs to be more courage like that from the boardrooms of America, not just merely from coaches, but all across the nation. Well, I agree, and it was uh, you know you always look back and think you could do things differently, and I wish I'd have said it a little differently, but uh, it was important to me that that we should not allow ABC to use our players and our league as a platform to promote something that that isn't family-oriented on a show that a lot of families are going to watch in primetime television. It was a totally inappropriate advertisement, and uh, I just appreciate you standing firm on that. And I also appreciate... Uh, what you've written in your book, Calling People to Faith, because we're all on a journey, like you write about in your book. We don't know what the next phone call, uh, the next email, uh, the next uh, bend in the road has for us. I had a great discussion with my son right into school today, dropping him off. Uh, Sean Taylor, a young 24-year-old player for the Redskins, uh, normally would have been at the game, was hurt. Uh, His house got burglarized. He was killed. And you're exactly right. We don't know um, the fact that we're 24 years old and playing in the National Football League, uh, what the next phone call is going to be. And that's where the faith and what you believe in is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of the things we talk to couples about at our Family Life Weekend to Remember Marriage Conferences. I mean, we, we tell them that you don't know what's coming next in your family, in your job, in your health, your circumstances, your finances. And you've got to not only have a, a strong faith in Christ that has been developed during the calmer times, but you also have to have a strong relationship so that you don't move toward isolation in your marriage relationship. And uh, this spring, Coach, after the season is over, we're going to have dozens of these conferences in cities all across the country. And it is a good weekend away where you can strengthen the foundation of your relationship so that you're ready when challenges come, because they're going to come in a marriage and in a family. If you'd like to register for an upcoming conference, you can go to our website, familylife.com, get all the information about when conferences are coming to what cities and make sure your schedule's clear, and then register online or call 1-800-FL-TODAY. Mention that you listen to Family Life Today and you want to register for an upcoming conference and uh, enjoy your weekend 
at a Family Life Weekend to Remember Marriage Conference. And by the way, if you have not yet read Coach Dungy's best-selling book, Quiet Strength, uh, it's a terrific book, as Dennis said. We've got it in our Family Life Resource Center. You can request a copy from us uh, on our website at familylife.com, or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY, and uh, we'll make arrangements to have a copy of the book sent to you. If you're a football fan or you know someone who is, uh, maybe somebody who doesn't know Christ, this is a great gift to give to someone that uh, may open a spiritual dialogue with that person. So again, get a copy of the book on our website at familylife.com or call us at 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today. Now, tomorrow, uh, we're going to talk with Coach Dungy about what had to be one of the most difficult seasons uh, he's had to walk through in his life. That was a season a few years back when his son James committed suicide. We'll talk about that tomorrow. I hope you can be with us for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, and our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ.